Good morning. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to finish off our study in Matthew chapter 18 this morning as we conclude our series, Peace on Earth. Um, But before I go to Matthew 18, I want to read this passage to you, and I think we might have it throw up on the screen for you. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've often been haunted by this passage. And the similar passage that that ends in Matthew chapter 18 that we're going to look at this morning, where Jesus says something similar to what he says here in this passage about people who don't feed the hungry and clothe the poor, and there's a, there's a correlation between this passage and the passage that we're going to look at today in Matthew 18 that I started two weeks ago. And it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in that parable, Jesus is answering a question from Peter. Some of you might remember if you were here two weeks ago. Peter's asking, how many times, Lord? Right? How many times should I forgive someone? And really, that's what being a peacemaker or a person of peace at its core is about. It's about forgiving people. Because sometimes there's wrongs on both sides. But we need to be the ones that are able and willing to forgive. Because they may not. They, they may never ask for forgiveness. But as I hope you've seen in this series, ultimately it's not about them. It's about us. And ultimately it's about a response to the forgiveness that we have received. That this is, this is what should be motivating us. It, it should be our, our motivating force to think about and to remember what Jesus has done for us. Not what they did to us, but what Jesus has done for us. That forgiveness that we have experienced through him should be reflected in our lives and to the people around us. And Jesus is going to say something incredibly shocking as he often does in these parables. Just like in the parable of the two lost sons, never does he say that the second son enters the party, which is representative of heaven in that parable. Jesus is going to say that those who continue to not show and extend forgiveness to others may be in danger of that same fate. Now, you you can get mad at me, but... I mean, I'm not the one saying it, okay? Jesus is the one saying it. So you should take it up with him. In Matthew chapter 18, we we talked about discipline and the need 
for going and addressing your brother when they have, when, when they have sinned against you. But Jesus concludes this chapter, and Peter comes up, and, and he asks this question in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And this is, this is Peter coming up, and you have to understand just really quickly, a little bit of Jewish history here. Because that's what a rabbi would often teach is that if a man commits a sin or transgression against you, the first, the second, and the third time, he is forgiven. But the fourth time, he is not. Right? So this is, this is the rabbinic tradition that Peter would have grew up with. That, that yeah, if somebody sins against you, Three times, you forgive them. But on the fourth time, you say, I'm done with you, right? I don't have to deal with you anymore. I don't have to forgive you anymore. The Mishnah was even stricter. It says if a man uh, said, I will sin and repent, and then sins again and repents, he will be given no chance to repent for transgression that are between a man and the fellow. So in other words, you get one shot. And if you blow that one shot, then there's no more forgiveness for you. And not only that, but the Day of Atonement, it, it affects atonement only if you've appeased your brother. So there's this idea in Judaism that that's the culture that Peter is in, that's the, the world that he lives in, that you, you may forgive the person the first time that they come to you and they confess and they say, I'm sorry, here's what I did, and you would forgive them. And then a month goes by and they come back to you and they confess again and say, oh, I did it again, I'm sorry. Well, you would forgive them again. Third time, same story. Say sorry. But after that, I'm no longer bound to forgive you. I'm no longer bound to extend forgiveness to you. So we have Peter asking this question in light of this cultural background. And basically, I want you to notice how generous Peter's being. Right? He doesn't use the standard rule of three that, that a rabbi would have used. He doubles it and adds one. Right, He's like, not three times, but seven times. Like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double it and like just for good measure, I'm going to throw one more in there. Seven's a good number, right? So that, that's Peter being generous about forgiveness. And if a person comes and asks forgiveness seven times, then on the eighth time, I really don't have to forgive them, right? right? I'm off the hook after seven times because, I'm, again, I'm being so generous here, Jesus. And to this, Jesus replies 77 times. In other words, it's not about a number, so stop counting. You are to extend forgiveness when it is asked for. Now he launches here into this parable and he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. And so oftentimes as we see in these teachings that are in the form of a parable, they often come in the form of a king and a servant. And the king here represents God and the servant represents us. And, and the idea here is of, of settling accounts is one of judgment, right? It's... it's it's the final day. We need to 
tally everything up, settle everything out. It's a, it's a moment of judgment. How did you do? So judgment is being made here by the king. And he began to settle debts. One who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. And since, the, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so that payment could be made. Now, a couple of things to understand. One, Jesus is using here in this passage the largest single word for a number that the Romans had. The largest single word for a number that the Romans had. They're bigger numbers, don't get me wrong, but as far as a single word that the Romans had, this was as big as it could get. Okay, so understand, Jesus is just trying to say, this is a massive debt. It's an unfathomable number when it comes to money. Estimates nowadays would put it anywhere between one and a half to two billion, all the way up to a hundred billion dollars. So, so in context, this, this is a governor who is a tax collector for an entire region. He took all the tax money and he never gave it to the king. He just kept it for himself, right? And so the king's saying, hey, it's time to pay up. It's time to settle the accounts. Where's all my tax money you've been collecting? And this debt is so huge, there's no way he could possibly pay it back. It's impossible. It's just never going to happen. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him with a ludicrous request. Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. How in the world is he ever going to do that? Right? This, this is an amount of money that is so insane, it, it doesn't matter if he worked the rest of his life. He's never going to earn this much money. He's taken all this money and blown it, apparently. He doesn't have it to pay him that. We know that, at least. And there's no way he's ever going to gather up this amount of money in a lifetime. It is a ridiculous request, asking for more time. But in verse 27, it says, out of pity for him, the master of the servant gave him more time. Is that what it says in verse 27? No. He released him and forgave him the debt. Here we see Jesus talking about God in a way doing something only God can do. Releasing this servant of an unfathomable debt that he could never repay. Not, not with all the time in the world could he ever have repaid it. And rather than saying, I'm going to give you a little bit more time, I'm going to, I'm going to see how you perform, basically. He takes his ludicrous, ludicrous request and he forgives it. He says, you know, I'm going to forgive that debt. Now, at this point, we should be elated. Like, if you're this guy, right? I mean, like, this, the whole world just got lifted off of your shoulders. You, you should be one of the happiest, most joy-filled people in the world. Like, you have experienced a, a level of mercy that few ever get to experience. But that's not what this guy does. But when the same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about a year's worth of wages. Still a lot of money. But nowhere near what he owed 
to the king. And seizing him, Jesus says he began to choke him. Now, if anybody could have choked, it was the king, right? But even the king didn't do that. Here we see the servant who's choking his fellow servant saying, pay me what you owe. And so his, his fellow servant falls down and he, and he pleads with him, right? Have patience with me, I will repay you. Anytime the Bible repeats things, it's significant, right? This is almost the exact same words that the servant used to the king. But with a completely different response. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants, in other words, all the, the people around, saw what just happened, they were, they, they were greatly distressed because, listen, the king forgiving the servant, I'm sure, was not a quiet thing, Right? And so they know what's happened to him, and now they see him acting like this, and they're like, this isn't right. And so they reported to their master, the king, what had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said, you wicked, wicked servant. Notice that. Wicked servant. Why is he a wicked servant? What makes him wicked? I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. You should have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you. What makes a person wicked is receiving forgiveness and then not extending that forgiveness in this parable. Verse 34, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Notice how Jesus ties Peter's question about forgiving in with that last word there, brother. Right? He's, he's pulling it back. How many times do I forgive my brother? Okay, well, let's, let's put this back. And I, and I know this is a text that has been perverted and used by people from a Catholic tradition to, to try to create a concept of purgatory. But if you're really going to press this, the allegory this hard, that what we're talking about here is eternal punishment. Because there's no way this person can ever repay a debt while in prison. It just can't happen. And so if you're going to press the allegory of the parable here, again, the, the first servant has been sent to hell because of his unforgiving attitude. And this is the thing that Jesus says that I, I think for many of us is hard to hear sometimes. Jesus is basically saying to us that this person never truly experienced forgiveness. He never truly appreciated the mercy that was extended to him. He took the personal 
benefit of no debt. But he never experienced the mercy that was shown to him by the king. And that's evidenced in the way that he treats other people. So this is a person, if we're going to use the term Christian, was a Christian in name only. They may have come to church, they may have practiced and and tried to benefit from the principles of Christianity, but they were never truly a Christian. And the way you know it is because of how they treat others, how they treated the people around them. And that's why I started with this text back in Matthew chapter 7, because of all the things that Jesus starts with, Those are things that Christians do, right? Preaching, casting out demons, all that stuff, right? It's it's like, you know, the church lived out in front of us. And people saying, I've done all these things, Jesus, in your name. And yet Jesus says, depart from me. I do not know you. And this is one of those reasons why that scenario that he talks about in Matthew 7 may happen. For those who are in church, grew up in church, or maybe you came to church late, whatever, but you've never experienced the mercy that God has given you. Because here's the thing, guys. Mercy experience will produce mercy demonstrated. Mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated. It has to. Otherwise, it was never experienced. And this is what Jesus is saying here. If you don't get it, if you don't understand the mercy that was extended to you, you can't possibly then extend it to others. You're going to be unforgiving. You're going to hold grudges. Because you've never experienced the mercy. You've never experienced the fullness of the forgiveness that has been extended to you. And some of you may be struggling with your testimony because you're, you're not receiving the mercy of God because you're not allowing God to give you that mercy. You're, you're trying to do the Christian life yourself. Maybe you're trying to be a good Christian Maybe some of you are even trying to suffer well. You may be trying to do all these things that you think you should do. And because you aren't experiencing his mercy, there's no way for you to demonstrate mercy to others. Instead, it's just turned into anger. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. You've never really experienced this mercy That God has given you. And that's why you struggle with unforgiveness. That's why you struggle with forgiving the people, the other people in your life. Because you've never really experienced this mercy that God offers. You may have enjoyed some of the benefits of Christianity, right? Some of you hear me all the time. I'll tell you, your friends affect the direction and quality of your life, right? That's based out of Proverbs. That's a good Christian principle. 
And listen, if you hang around with people who are successful, chances are you'll reap the benefit of being successful. But that doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? Like we, we can take all of these principles that we find in God's word and we can try to apply them in our life, but that's not going to make us merciful. It's not going to make us forgiving. Yeah, you can reap some benefit from that, but ultimately lose your soul. Because you've never really experienced the mercy of understanding how the grace that has been extended to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. See, the individual who has experienced God's mercy and has received this forgiveness has humbly entered into the kingdom of heaven. And all the former values of this world just got turned upside down because of this. I no longer need to be on the top. I no longer need my opinions to be heard. They, they no longer need to be the most important thing in my life. I can set all myself and my thoughts and my opinions to the side for the sake of others. Remember, this, this whole conversation started back in verse 1 with a conversation about who's the greatest, right? Who... Who's going who's gonna to listen to me? Who's, who, you, you putting me in charge, Jesus? I get to sit at your right hand? Right? This is where all of this conversation started. And Jesus is bringing it down and just totally flipping it upside down. Jesus, Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. You're not getting what I'm saying at all. It's, it's about to be all turned upside down for these disciples, right? Something that they would later understand as they would watch Jesus being nailed to a cross. The Savior of the world, the Son of God, dying by the hands of men. That's messed up. <laughs> that's backwards. If I'm God, that's not happening. I'm going to tell you that right now. Right? But yet, that's exactly what happened. There wasn't this triumphal entry into Jerusalem and, and he would be ushered up to the throne and, and seated on the temple. No, he got death and death at a cross. At the hands of the Romans, but promoted by the very people that were supposed to be the people of God. But they would also come to learn and understand that this could create true reconciliation between brothers and sisters as well. In Christ, they would be able to forgive others, not because of what you have done or what they have done, but because of what Jesus has done. You see, the cross gave us this reconciliation between us and God that now empowers us to have reconciliation between each other. And the key to forgiveness, guys, is to stop focusing on what others have done to us and instead focus on what Jesus has done for us. We have to stop focusing on what these people have done and start focusing on what 
Jesus has done. But unfortunately, our nature is to focus on what's been done to us. And because of that, we have a hard time being able to forgive anybody else. Rather than focusing on what Jesus has done for us, his saving us, and listen, true reconciliation is not simply a, a tolerant attitude toward one another. So this is, this is what some people think forgiveness is. Well, I'll, I'll just tolerate them. But forgiveness is, is real, personal, loving connection between individuals that Jesus desires. And without a heart attitude of forgiveness, this type of connection isn't even possible. He wants us sown together into one body in the church. Right? You, you chop off a part of a body and, and just leave it floundering over there, it's not going to live very long. Right? So this metaphor that Paul uses is that we are all connected in the body. How can, a, how can a body be fighting against each other and then function properly? It's not possible. How can the body just be tolerating the other parts of the body and be functioning properly? For, forgiveness not only sustains the intimacy of the community of God, but it's, it's a powerful device that, that allows people to make changes in their own lives and move toward deeper intimacy with God. When people start to see what, what happens when they confess and they share some of the things that are on their heart, rather than judgment, right? Unfortunately, which is what a lot of people see in churches when they begin to confess and repent of their sin. They just see this judgment. But, but when instead of that, they begin to receive mercy, it creates an opportunity for intimacy. Not only between those two people, but between, but between that person and God. And this is what God is calling us as a church to be. To, to be part of this community that he's building, this, this intimate community that's connected not only to God, but to each other. And when, that we would be this community that would put our wants and needs behind the wants and needs of others. And there wouldn't be this sense of judgment of one another. But, but instead, grace and mercy extended to the people of faith. And Jesus says, when, when you can't do that, when, when you can't extend mercy and grace to others, you're like that first servant. That wicked Servant. The servant that wanted all the personal benefits of a relationship with God, but their heart was actually never transformed. They wanted the benefits without the intimate relationship. And they were never given a new heart and they never changed. And this is why I say, as a church and as a group of people gathered together, that, that most of us would call yourselves a Christian. That we are in real danger here. 
And that we need to heed the warning that Jesus has given us so that we don't become like those people in Matthew 7 that I started with. Because we won't extend forgiveness to others. In closing, I just want to apply this practically to our life. We see a couple of themes emerge in this parable. Three really big themes, I think. One is is God's boundless grace. I hope you see that this morning. I, I hope you see what is being forgiven. This person had no hope, no chance of ever repaying. And yet, not only did God give him more, he didn't just give him more time, but he said, I'm willing to forgive it. I hear your request, and I'm going to go a step farther. I'm going to do more than you even dared to ask me. Right? Because the servant didn't even dare to ask for the forgiveness of the debt. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it's crazy just to give him more time because he still would have never paid it back. But God says, I'm going to forgive it. The second big theme, so one, we see God's boundless grace. But second is the absurdity of spurning that grace. The absurdity of spurning that grace. So how do you spurn that grace? Every time you don't forgive others. That's what you're doing. You're saying, you know what, Jesus? I know you've forgiven me of a lot, but it's not enough for this. They really made me mad. <laughs> right? They, they stole money from me. And maybe that very circumstance played out in your life this week. You were cheated by somebody. What are you going to do? Are you going to be angry? Are, are you going to be unforgiving toward them? No, why? Because I know what I've been forgiven of. It has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. Now here, and let me, let me clarify, let some take this and run with it and say something that I didn't say. You still pursue justice, okay? They stole from you, you call the cops. They hurt you, you call the cops. We still pursue justice, but I can forgive them and call the cops. Does that make sense? Right? Because one is about me, the forgiveness part. The justice is about them and God, and they need to get that right. So I can do those things. This isn't just like, oh, I'm going to be a doormat. I'm going to let everybody walk on me. I'm, I'm not saying that. That's not what Jesus is saying either. Okay? But when it comes to me, am I willing to forgive? And the third and the last theme of this parable that we see is the frightful fate awaiting the unforgiving. And if this is something that you struggle with, if this is something that you can't seem to get yourself to forgive others, listen, because I love you this morning, I want you to understand how dangerous it is to live in that state and call yourself a Christian. 
is dangerous. Because again, if you're going to press the parable, it's an eternal separation, an eternal punishment apart from God. And that's it. That's what's awaiting for those who won't forgive. And I don't want that for any of you. And so, like Jesus, I want to warn you. I want to caution you. I want to shake you and say, wake up. Don't be a wicked servant. Jesus is teaching here that no true disciple can ever act as the wicked servant did. We can't be disciples that never produce or extend the forgiveness that we have received. Remember those words in Matthew 7, 23. And then, I, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus teaches more about this on the Sermon on the Mount as well. I would encourage you to read that this week. Many people in Christian circles are in, dangers, in danger of the judgment because they refuse to forgive fellow believers. They refuse to speak kindly to them. They refuse to cooperate with them. They refuse to accept their confession and repentance. In counseling, I've often discovered that people's unwillingness to forgive that lies at some of the deepest issues of the heart and creates all kinds of personal problems in their life. They, they, they come to me with this long list of other issues that they won't dealt with, but the more we dig into it, at the root of it, it's just unforgiveness. And, and, and the pain of that unforgiveness creates all of these other problems in their lives. And Jesus is declaring that if people live in a state of continued unforgiveness... They may exclude themselves from eternal life with him. Because it's showing that they've never truly experienced the mercy and grace that was extended to them by the Father. The only way we can know that is it being evidence into how you treat others. Remember, mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated so why is it so important why, why have we spent 10 weeks on this topic of peace because it's evidence of the fact that you have received the peace of God it's evidence that you are a believer and if you never receive that peace it is impossible for you to extend that peace. All of the principles I've talked about for the last nine weeks, you can try your best. But apart from God, they will come to nothing. You, you will end up bitter and angry and more frustrated because you've never experienced the peace, the mercy that has been extended to you. Oh, but once you've received that peace... It's going to be demonstrated in the way you treat everyone around you. It's going to be demonstrated in the way that you love and serve other people. So where are you at this morning? As we pray in a minute, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, search my heart. 
What is it that I'm holding on to? Who, who is the person that I refuse to forgive? Maybe for some of you, it's your family, your abuser, and you just decide, you know what, I, I can't go there. Jesus has gone there. Who is it that you're refusing to forgive? And then ask God to help you to extend that mercy and grace that's been extended to you. To show you where you've been the person that was in the wrong. This, this is one of the most beneficial things in counseling is, is whenever I can get uh, two people who are arguing and, and upset with each other, when I can get them both at the foot of the cross, and what I mean by that is when one party sees how they're acting the same way but just in a different circumstance, it is so much easier to forgive, right? Because it is impossible to forgive someone you feel morally superior to. But it's when, when we both get at the foot of the cross because that's where we both belong. <laughs> None of us are morally superior, right? When we can both get at the foot of the cross and we can both see, oh, I do that, but I do it this way. It's so much easier than to forgive the person. So ask God, show, show me, Lord, where am I doing a similar thing? It may, not, it may not look the same, it may not come out the same, but where am I guilty of the same sin? So that I can forgive the people in my life. Let's pray, Father. I pray you will search our hearts this morning. Help us to see who we need to forgive. And again, forgiveness doesn't mis mean not pursuing justice, Lord. You are a God of justice. But Lord, as far as it goes with our heart, that we would be able to forgive those who have hurt us, those who have stole from us. Lord, help us to never be like this wicked servant. Wanting all the benefits, but none of the relationship. And God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would work in the lives of your people to bring them to a place of forgiveness. And Lord, for those here this morning that may be a Christian in name only. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself. I pray this morning they would, they would see the boundless love that you have for them. And instead of spurning your grace, Lord, they would receive the grace that you have extended to them. And Lord, that would change Everything. It would turn their lives upside down. 
as they pursue a relationship with you. Father, we love you, and we thank you for sending your son to die for us, to, to give us this opportunity to even be able to forgive. It's only possible because you forgave us first. When we were wicked and enemies of you, you chose to love us, and you chose to forgive us. Help us to live a life that reflects that every day. And it's these things in Jesus' name.